Hello and welcome back to the Not So Fake Couple podcast with your hosts, Lucy Davis. And Benjamin Halden. So we have just started off, as you've probably seen on socials, with the new challenge, which is Project Fit. Which camera did you just look at? Oh, yours is up there. I can see that. Okay. Project Fit, which is the new challenge, which has a optional running program in it. It's the first time we've ever done so. Yeah, it's also a challenge, which is something we've never done before in terms of a charity challenge. And... Obviously, the winner gets epic prizes. Loads of people are involved and it's a very community kind of challenge. This one, isn't it? Because we have an event um, planned for October. But we are doing it for charity as well, which is Breast Cancer Now, which is so close to myself and Ben. My nan is incredible. She's actually just had breast cancer surgery. So it's something that's really special to both of us. And we know a lot of the members have kind of touched on this before. So that's just another element of the challenge that we've never actually introduced. And it's super nice that we get to do that together with everyone as a community. Yes. And on top of that, with the challenge, there's going to be a 10K at the end of it. So we're going to be doing a program called Lift and Run. Yours is called... Build and run. Build and run. And it's going to be building you up from zero to 10K. And we're going to be doing a 10K in Manchester on my birthday. Yeah, and you don't actually have to run, guys. Like, we've just bought out a new running program. You don't actually have to run, guys. You can just come to the meet up and meet us there. Or you can take part in the challenge and choose any of the other programs if you wish to as well. But yes, enrollment is open. The challenge starts on Monday, the 6th of September. If you're not enrolled, don't know what, what you're doing if you're under a rock. Get yourself enrolled. But the meetup as well, there's going to be spectator tickets and non-spectator tickets. I run in for yeah, the event meetup in Manchester. So you can come down just for the meetup, have a bit of a knees up, have a Nando's and enjoy it. Yeah. Boom. But for today's guest, we have a very special one. I've been trying to organise this one for a while, but he is a very, very busy man. He He is, in my eyes, one of, if not the best podcasters in the UK. So, and he is a, a. I say the best. He's a podcast. I don't know uh, who's 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 touching him. Okay, that's I, not I, well. That came out well wrong. I, I, I agree. <laughs> so, touching, oh, no. just, what do you mean? And he is one of the podcasts that I am subscribed to. I only listen to about six podcasts, and I would very much recommend that you go over and check his podcast out, which is Modern Wisdom. So, hello, Mr. Chris Williamson. Thanks for having me back. Thank you much, much indeed for jumping on. How are you, sir? I'm good, man. It's been a good weekend. Enjoyable, IFS. Yeah, very, very fun. First one, thoughts? First one, yeah. So everyone that went a couple of years ago was talking about this crazy event and it was so fun and it was totally different to every other fitness event that we'd ever been to. And it's somewhere between a a seminar and an expo and a party and a club night. And it was sort of all of this rolled into one. And um, yeah, it was good. It's it's nice to meet the people that you really respect in the industry. There was no dickheads there, or at least if there were, I didn't meet them. And... It was just great. I just had constantly interesting conversations with cool people the whole time. All of the attendees were mint. And yeah, you come away from something like that. Because it's so strange, right? You spend all this time creating stuff on the internet. And it's just you and like metrics and DMs on Instagram. And it's so different when you meet someone who goes, man, like, can, I just, can I just take five minutes of your time to talk about this thing from episode 196? Or so. It was like a year and a half ago. Yeah. I really, I've been doing... This th- I've been having salt instead of coffee first thing in the morning for the last year and a half. And dude, it's changed my life. I don't even remember talking about that. It's so cool. Like, it, and it's very bizarre as well, stepping outside of the internet. So awesome it brings, weekend. It brings that realness to the work that you've been doing and not really having that sort of feedback from. Correct. To have a, have a, a physical, real conversation with someone else. And it was it was funny because one of the people I spoke to at the 
event said to me, I just thought you were cunts until I listened to the podcast. And that's, <laughs> and that's, that's what's great about the podcast is that you really get to know someone on a different level as opposed to with Instagram and Facebook and, and other social media channels. And that was obviously great about the, the panel that we did there, the, the Power of the Podcast panel that we were speaking about. And how although, for, especially for us, for me and Lucy, that the podcast is a lot smaller in regards to subscriber account as opposed to Instagram and, and other social media channels. However, I don't think one person came up this weekend and said, I follow you on Instagram. It was, we listen to the podcast. Yeah, because I explained that to you even before we stepped on the stage. And I feel, I still can't really get my head around it because... Do you listen to many podcasts yourself? I listen to two or three, yeah. Mm-hmm. Very selective. When mm-hmm. I go on a walk, I'll, I'll go out and listen to a podcast. But it's it's still mind-blowing to me how much the industry has changed in terms of social media. No one came up to me and said, I love what you do on Instagram. It's your podcast is fucking great or YouTube. So YouTube and the podcast, mm. I just, it's crazy to me. There's half a million of them on Instagram. Don't care. And they don't, yeah. And it just shows how much has changed over the past couple of years, two years. COVID obviously had an effect on that, like we, which we spoke about. If you think about. about the sort of people that you're trying to reach, they're probably going to be far more interested in sinking into a conversation for a good while, mm. spending a bit of time. Maybe they do, just as we were coming in, you said, someone said, like, what's your screen time like on your phone? Mm. I spend too much time on social media. Everyone's like that. And if <clears throat> TikTok is this sort of 60-minute limbic hijack that just races <laughs> to the bottom of the brainstem, and then they hear you slowing everything down, having a long conversation, it makes them feel sedate and it keeps them away from just scrolling through stuff. I think that's why people connect. Yeah, 100%. I agree. I agree. Well, people know you, Chris, as well for modern wisdom, predominantly. You are a aggressive podcaster that has developed a podcast from your bedroom, which I think is very fascinating in itself. But for those who don't know you, where and who is Chris Williamson prior to the podcast? Okay, so... I was a club promoter. I still am, have been for a long time, 15 years, director of a very big events company that runs student club nights. Anyone that's been to uni and paid a couple of quid to get into an event and paid a couple of quid for a drink, that's <clears throat> that's what we do. Um, that was in Newcastle and Leeds and Manchester. And I was chasing prestige and money and fame and girls and status and stuff like that, like you often do when you're a young guy. Mm-hmm. And um uh, as a part of that, gaining status and stuff, I went on Take Me Out. I did Love Island, first person through the doors of season one of Love Island. Um, and after that, I sort of thought, look, I'm not being fulfilled in the way that I thought I was. I was chasing status and girls and money and attaching my sense of self-worth to how the business was performing and so on and so forth. And I was like, this doesn't really feel very fulfilling. Is this really all that I've got to offer the world? Like me with a tan in a pair of swim shorts. Like, is that is that really it? And then did a bit of self-work and self-inquiry. It was at a time when Jordan Peterson and Joe Rogan and Sam Harris and Brett Weinstein, all of these people that sort of made sense of the world were coming to the front, watched and listened to a lot of them and then thought, right, I, I, there's something to this. And that personal growth journey sort of took me into the podcast. It's very different. You know, no one ever came out of one of my club nights having had an existential crisis and told me that like that banging house music and those one pound Jaeger bombs fixed me. But you get messages like that when you do something that genuinely contributes to how people feel so yeah i think that there's a broader lesson there for young i can't speak for girls but definitely young guys 
you're in your early 20s, maybe you find success within a business or in a sporting pursuit or whatever that gives you status or prestige or money. And um, you have to let go of that at some point or else you're just going to stay, continue being that sort of man-child. Like this is what Dan Bilzerian is, right? Yes. Like he's the ultimate 21-year-old that happens to be 45. Is that how old he is now? 45? He's in his 40s, definitely, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you need to grow up and letting go of that is an interesting challenge. So, so yeah. can I ask how old you were <coughs> when you started Modern Wisdom? 20... 30. Hmm? 30. 30. 30. I'm 33 now. Three and a half years. Wow. I also Good. think that's important for people to actually hear those well because everyone's like, young hustle, 18, 19, 20. It's like, ah, I don't know what to do with my life. And you're super successful. Well, I would say you're super... I think it's really hard to define success. Everyone has that conversation. But I think that's really important to even make a note of as well. I think it's interesting as well because club promoter to podcaster, those worlds don't really align logistically, do they, from a, no. from a perspective? No. So it's interesting how you took that kind of journey from there to there and how that kind of has developed. Yeah, well, club promo is just very sort of transient base like it, it, the least gracious parts of our nature come out when we're have, when we're on a night out, right? Like it's a, this sort of slumpy shuffling affair at two in the morning. Nothing noble has ever happened after two a.m. in a oh nightclub God, no. ever. It's like either fights or kissing. That's all that you've got. <laughs> and um, yeah, so it, it is interesting to think that you need to cast away these things that other people told you were cool. Other people told you that a thousand people a night coming into an event that you run and fifty percent of them knowing your name was something that was cool. And maybe it is. Maybe it was. Maybe it is. Okay, what's next? What's next on this personal growth journey? And I think that people get, young people get captured by the first thing they find success in and they're not prepared to let that go. Mm -hmm. And if you're not prepared to give up the good for the great, you're always going to be stuck with this glass ceiling that you've put on yourself. That's it. This is, this is life for me now. Um, and yet when it comes to sort of, I guess, success and pivots as you grow up a little bit more, especially with podcasting or anything really that requires a bit more insight, under the age of 25, like you're still learning, like you, you can't be, it's like people that are life coaches that are 23 years old. Like what fucking life have you yeah, had? Get fucked. Yeah. Is, yeah. You haven't had a lot. What are you coaching people on? So I think that as you grow, you can kind of grow your messaging and your platforms with it. Like for me now to go and do Take Me Out or like Love Island or whatever at 33 years old might be a bit like, it's a bit weird. I think the oldest person that's done it's 31. So I would already be outside of an age bracket. But when you're 27, that feels okay. Mm -hmm. And then conversely, Maybe when you're young, Instagram and TikTok and doing silly... Like Logan Paul. Logan Paul made his career on Vine, then pivoted to doing YouTube, then was doing blogging and vlogging and stuff like that. And now he's sort of come back around to be a media personality in his own right. So what he's done is he's allowed the old versions of himself to fall away and he's continued to move. Mm. And that like, not attaching your, your ego too tightly to the first thing that you got success in, that's yes. a really important lesson. I like that. I think there's a few, you see a few people like that. And again, I've had to be like that over the last couple of years because I just started posting workouts and stuff and that kind of thing doesn't really float my boat anymore. I don't just want to help someone through a workout. I feel there's a lot more that I can offer people as well. And I suppose we were having this conversation in respect to guests on the podcast the other day. Do you think how you now potentially measure your success versus how you did has a lot to do with the people that you're now surrounding yourself with because of this community that you've integrated with, these kind of big guests 
you have one like Mark Manson, Jordan Peterson, that has changed where you measure your success simply based on the people that you are now surrounding yourself with. Absolutely, yeah. There's levels to this game when it comes to fulfillment. So especially when you're not going to beat like a Jordan Peterson in terms of clout or money or status or renown or any prestige, any of this stuff. But what can you compete with him on? Okay, well, I can compete with him based on truth-seeking, something more fundamental, like me trying to perform the best that I can in my arena and spending time around people that have grown up and kind of let go of chasing status and transient transactional relationships. Yeah, it, it, it definitely does. Like your circle does sort of make you, but that you are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with rule. Like if you don't spend time with five people a lot, but you spend time with a bunch of like a hundred people very regularly and they're all in a similar circle, it has the same effect. Mm. So spending time with having really important conversations, it does get you out of your own headspace and it definitely makes it easy. You know, if there's someone that goes, do you know what it is? I really want to let go of the old version of me, but I feel like I'm being held back that way. It's like, okay, well maybe try and find some friends or some people go to a networking event or go to a venue or start a new hobby that's going to have some of the people that you want to be like. You know, if you want to have interesting insights about personal growth and and business and growing up as a young guy or girl, maybe like take up Brazilian jiu-jitsu or golf because those are the sorts of communities mm -hmm. in which people that are doing that are also doing it. Don't continue to go to a nightclub and expect that you're going to find wisdom on the side of the bar. Yes. Like it's not going to happen. Yeah. When you first started your podcast have you always had guests on or is that something that you've more so implemented like through the years did you initially start always having guests yes from from the off -go? episode one was with a mate who was rowing the atlantic solo yeah wow really just found a guy who went to our gym and i was like right i'm gonna get you and then episode two and three were with johnny and yousef about life hacks episode four and five were dave castro and dan bailey at the nano uh, eight launch in wit and then like Episode six was Mike Kaju. Episode seven was a meditation guy. Episode eight was like some CEO, blah, 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 blah. I mean, you started on your couch, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. With the, with the white uh, microphone. Yeti. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Did we you... saw that. Yeah, we had the little Yeti thing, didn't we? Shit hot, man. 100 quid. Yeah. One between two. Good investment. When you, because I'm super interested in this, because I just find your whole journey, it is, it is pretty damn inspirational, is it? Because everything Ben said and where you've come from and things. Did you ever have... I don't know, even imposter syndrome at some point when you're reaching out to these guests and saying, do you want to jump on my podcast? I know not more so now, but at the start, were you ever feeling a bit, I'm, I'm stepping out my game a bit here. I don't really know how to approach these people. I mean, I've had it even with certain people now. I'm like, I can't, no, absolutely can't message yeah. them. I'll, I'll, Way rephrase, out of my comfort yeah. zone. I'll rephrase that. Were you shitting your knickers when you were on the Jordan, Jordan Peterson podcast. So, I mean, Jordan was whatever, yeah. episode 320-something, so it's three and a bit years in. Um, that was that was fairly nerve-wracking, yeah, as, as talks go. But the reason it was nerve-wracking was because I wanted to perform well. I wasn't scared that I couldn't keep up with him. Like, I know that I can keep up with him. And here's something that kind of defeats imposter syndrome. Like, there's only so many times that you can disprove your own imposter syndrome in reality and it still stick about and you not admit that it's an addiction. Like, how many times do you need to be worried that you're not going to be able to perform, then do a thing and perform, and then stay worried about not being able to do the thing and not performing the next time that you do it before you admit to yourself, look, this isn't about my ability, this is about the way that I'm framing everything that I do. Mm -hmm. And before the Jordan episode, I had a conversation with a mate 
And I was like, oh, this is going to be pretty big. Might do a few million plays. This, you know, there's a, some eyes on me with regards to this. And you kind of feel the weight of your own expectation. Mm-hmm. But he said, look, man, like, who does more podcasts? Who spent the last three and a half years constantly drilling his technique and really, really working at this, trying to become the best that he can? He's like, Jordan should be fortunate that he gets to come on your show. And sure enough, that was how I went into the frame. There's a, a model from Pickup Artistry that's called You Are the Prize. And it's about controlling the frame of the interaction where you come in being the high value participant. Like you go up and talk to this worldy guy or girl that you think is totally out of your league. But you speak to them in a way where you think, look how fortunate they are for having this conversation with me. I'm an interesting person. I genuinely care. I have cool things that they can learn about. And the Jordan Peterson episode was the same. And then I finished up with him and we spent maybe 15 minutes and I kind of told him some bits about insights that I didn't need to say on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And then the next week he went on Ben Shapiro's show and slap bang in the middle of that, just started talking about me unprompted for two minutes. That's amazing. Wow, saying, I spoke that. to this guy called Chris Williamson. He's got a really interesting story, this new podcast in the UK. It was like a fucking paid ad in the middle of this thing. And he's incredibly precise with his speech. And he told me that he'd been working on it. And he told me this, this, and this. And he told me this story and blah, blah, blah. And then he went on to Andrew Schultz's show and said the same thing about me. And then he had um, the guy that directs the Psychology Today podcast said the same thing again. And I'm like, okay, so this has had an impact. How long can I continue to believe my own imposter syndrome? Like you just need to get rid of it. And this is having faith that you can do the thing that you're supposed to do is quite important. When it comes to reaching out to people, I was just like, look, I want to talk to them. My curiosity overcame my nervousness. Like, look, I want to find out from this person about, I want to find out from this porn star about what it's like to be a professional adult actress Mm -hmm. in the entertainment industry. So whatever discomfort I have around reaching out to them is overshadowed by the fact that, like, I want to know interest, yeah. what it's like. Yeah, and you just roll that forward. So that's why I think curiosity is, like, a, such a superpower for pretty much everyone. Because it just bypasses everything. It's like, look, I'm nervous, but I'm more interested than I am nervous. Yes, so it's more performance anxiety than imposter syndrome. I suppose at that point as well, though, there's always going to be an element of that whenever you go into new territory that you have right. not been to before. Yeah. Because you have no experience in there. And and obviously self-confidence and self, self-belief are two very different things. Self-confidence becomes as you overcome hurdles, as you get better at improving your skill set. Self-belief is something that is there or isn't there. That's an interesting regardless. way to to split it up that I hadn't thought of. Yeah, perhaps that's perhaps that's the difference between the two. Yeah, I think, and, and that's why self-belief can be difficult for people because it doesn't matter how much experience they've had with certain things, it's... It's something that is a different, different yeah. dial. So a good example of this was the live talk that we gave this weekend. And public speaking is something that I've never had to do before. But I know it's close to what I do. It's just the difference is the audience and was stood in front of some people. Mm. And I was waiting for the nerves to arrive before I walked on stage. And it was a tiny little bit while I was at the side of the stage. And the second that I sat down and got to ask the first question, I was like, your programming just takes over. Here's another one, right? So the Jordan Peterson episode is a good example of this. I remember the first five, ten minutes of the episode, I was thinking to myself, <clears throat> fuck, I'm speaking to Jordan Peterson. Fuck, I'm speaking to Jordan Peterson. You need to focus on your words. What's he just said? Fuck, I'm speaking to Jordan Peterson. And you're like, shut up, brain. Like, I'm trying to have a conversation yeah. here. And what I realized was that during that five or ten minutes when I was being inside of my own head, trying to get out of it, all of my responses still happened. My programming took over. Mm-hmm. You know, you hear about like racing car drivers that get into flow and they don't even think. You know, Lewis Hamilton isn't thinking about how he takes the corners. He just takes the corners. And if someone hasn't done something for a long amount of time, like you with swimming, Mm. right? You do it for so long 
that it, it's like a different type of knowledge. It's embodied. It's like in your feet somewhere or something. Do you it's, know what I mean? It's part of you. It's like part of your identity. Exactly. So you still might have nerves around like, well, how's the event going to go, this, that, and the other, but like the skill is is there. You've drilled it. And if no one's, I think podcasting is one of the first things, maybe like club promo and maybe cricket back in the day, I guess. It's one of the first things that I did that I've stuck at for so long where I get to that level of skill acquisition. Um, so one potential experiment that people could do if they don't feel like they have sufficient self-confidence or if they suffer with imposter syndrome in other areas of their life is to find something that they're going to enjoy and commit themselves to it for a couple of years. Like, look, I'm going to get really good at Brazilian jiu-jitsu or at running or something, something that's kind of embodied, something that isn't too in your head, uh, chess, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then see how that trickles down into the other areas of your life. So you're like, okay, if this is the same with this situation, that all that I needed to do was push sufficiently hard until I acquire the skills. Maybe it's like that with my public speaking at work. And maybe it's like that with having awkward conversations with my wife. And maybe it's like that with the way that I need to deal with my parents and da, 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 da. And it trickles into the rest of your life. The confidence that you get from being incredibly good at one thing makes everything else. Mm -hmm. And this is why you look at somebody, James Smith's a good example, someone that's incredibly competent at speaking on camera, who now is competent at everything else. Mm -hmm. Like he has confidence to write a book, even though he says himself, he doesn't have a clue what he's doing, but he has self-belief and self-confidence that's come out of being very good at one thing, proving it to himself, and then scaling that. So I think think that's very applicable to, even for, for example, we take fitness, People who then go into the gym, change their body, change their mindset, their their own self-confidence improves as a byproduct of that. And then there's other areas of life that then therefore change. And I think that's one of the easiest ways that you can potentially Great point. work on that from from kind of a, a place where you have a lot of control over as well to do that on a daily basis. Yep. Well, what I was going to say, so from, I'm quite good at public speaking. I've, I did it. You nailed it this weekend. You nailed it. Do you know why? And this is, this is my other perception. I had people coming up to me saying, are you nervous for like your, your women lift one or the one that you're hosting? Inside, I was like, fuck, absolutely. And I was like, no, I'm well excited. So I was kind of pretending I knew exactly what I was doing. Done it thousands of times before. Mm -hmm. So I went in with the mindset of, like inside, I was feeling quite, oh God, like a little bit nervous. Was that the booty so sure. blaster one? Was that no, that one? No, so I did two different ones. I did the women who lift one, yep. which is one I hosted, which was really cool. It was super busy. And then I did the demo at the end and then the podcast one. So the women and lift one, because I was hosting it mm-hmm. and I was like in charge and thinking, so Kyle was saying, oh, are you feeling a bit nervous? No, no, I feel awesome. Speaking so, that out yeah, loud, saying it, yeah. but I wasn't. But if I can kind of say, no, no, I feel great. I'm well excited. That is how I I had the approach to go on stage in that way. You have to show up like that. Show mm-hmm. up like that. Yeah. I had that with like certain podcasts as well. Like, are you nervous? Absolutely shit in it. No, I'm, well, I'm really excited. Mm-hmm. Like, it's going to be a great conversation. I'm not sure. So I, I, I've thought about this a lot. How far faking it until you make it can go before you actually kid yourself and you become, you have like two um, personalities that exist mm-hmm. separately. So, uh, Beyonce has a an alter ego that she embodies when she goes on stage. Kobe right. Bryant's got the Mamba mentality. You know, you have these certain like Mike Tyson as well. He had this sort of absolute killer man that he he embodied when he went into the into the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, so I agree that it's useful as a performance tool, 
that you can potentially sort of split these off. What I would be worried about longer term, and this is something I'm wrestling with myself, is there are some lessons that you can learn from doing your chosen pursuit. And if you um, split, if you separate out too much, the person that performs on stage and the person that learns in private, maybe the lessons that you get from being on stage don't ever come across mm -hmm. yeah. because those are just lessons yeah. that exist in stage Lucy or whatever. And you never actually end up having to absorb them into the person that is day to day. And that's where the real growth comes from. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that as with most things, it's probably just a, a gentle balance um, and maybe if you want to be at the absolute peak, you know, Beyonce's personal growth coming out of her singing doesn't matter when you're like, you know, probably the most successful female mm -hmm. singer that's alive at the moment. Um, but if you're using your pursuit as a vehicle for personal growth, I think that splitting those two personalities off actually could be a little bit de detrimental. So you stop that learning from going across. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I agree with that though as well. I think mine's more so to get me on the stage. Yep. And then once you're up there. Once I'm up. Yeah. As soon as I you say, say that first, say the word, first it's easy. word, yeah. The first word, and I instantly relax, and I'm quite good at talking to the audience. My first question was, okay, so who's a female PT? So instantly you're connecting, communicating with them in a slightly different way. That's that was my approach this week, and I feel like it worked quite well. I think the thing that's interesting is how much doing this type of thing helps, regardless. I've just Podcasts. podcasting mm -hmm. in the way that you then communicate when you're speaking on stage and how much confidence that yeah, gives you terrifying. because you are I don't know like how much you will recognise but you are a very good interviewer because you were hosting the panel you're very good at picking up points and then exploring them so for example we haven't told this story either on the podcast so it was an IFS exclusive when we told the the bad we the question was if you have a, a bad situation or bad awkward awkward podcast, moment in yeah. podcasting and me and Lucy decided to call this one Dr. A and we were podcasting for over over Zoom, Zoom session. And we just got going with the the chit chat, the talk, a bit of an intro. We hadn't stopped recording yet. And me and Lucy noticed something just in the, the distance behind the gentleman that we were. I we think were I podcast. noticed first because I nudged Ben under the table. I'm trying my eyes. I'm like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> to the corner. We all kind of knew it was there, but <laughs> no. trying to smile. Oh but no, not to admit. And then obviously we saw a huge dildo in the background, dildo. which which wasn't your normal and someone's rabbit. It was. It was probably like I said. It was like, it was like someone chopped off a forearm and like, left it on the side. That it was like, it was probably like that. I don't know whether he was doing like plumbing with it or whether he was using it for thing. something different. It was huge, mate. It's like a self-defense self weapon. Yes, yeah. it was indeed. If, if there was anything, if you found someone in your house, that's what, that was what you fucking grabbed off the side. Yeah, exactly. Leave the shotgun. Yeah. Leave the spade. Terrified, the terrified yeah. of that dildo. Yeah. yeah, I would be as well. But for everyone who is listening or watching on YouTube, that episode was never aired, was yeah. never aired because they... They asked us not to. Maybe it was purely through... I thought the actual episode was good, but maybe it was just some sort of... Cannot deal... <laughs> cannot. Yeah, cannot, cannot, deal, cannot deal, deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. That dildo could never be seen or heard. <laughs> oh, no. Unfortunate. Yeah. Oh. But yeah, you, you tapped into that very well when we were um, kind of talking about it. I think the way that you interviewed because I pushed you on what colour it was and what yes. shape it was and how heavy Very it was. It was, more, it was more so your body language, the communication. You sat there, you turned around, you, you had the full conversation with Ben. So well, It's on my Instagram page as well, it's on the post. Oh so. yeah, I want you to send yeah, me that video. So I want to put it out there. It's so funny, man. But it's your body language, the way you 
communicate with people as well. So what I've noticed you're very good at is looking at someone in the eyes. Mm. I used to struggle with that really significantly. I would be like, hey, like, hi. And that's something that I've really, really got better at with the podcast and definitely doing like in person Especially over the internet. Um, And this is something, again, not everybody that's listening wants to start a podcast. So I want to try and make the lessons as applicable to the people Mm -hmm. who are just normal humans as you can. Um, If you have a conversation with a friend for 30 minutes once a week for the next year, just pick a friend that you know is good and rigorous and precise with their speech and say, look, I really want to get better at talking. Why don't we, I'll take you for coffee once a week for a year. We can just, at the same time, maybe each week, it's like recording a podcast, but you don't need to put it out anywhere and you don't need to record it. Mm-hmm. Phones away, phones outside of the room or in the bags or something like that. And just do 30 minutes of talking to someone about even stuff that you don't know about. Like, so did you see the Jake Paul, Tyron Woodley fight last night? What do you think about that? And just get into the rhythm because the lessons that we're getting from podcasting, if you don't want to start a podcast, you don't get to learn the lessons. How can I learn the lessons from this without having the platform and having to start it? Have a conversation with someone for 30 minutes once a week. Look at them in the eyes. uh, Hold each other to account. Stress test each other's positions. Okay, hang on. So you just said this thing there, but I remember a couple of weeks ago, you actually mentioned something. I don't think... I think that, that you're a little bit off here. Like, Learn what it is to have uh, an agreeable disagreement with someone. Learn what it is to be skeptical around when you have questions with people. And then this is a good story. So I was in Dubai. I escaped the lockdown um, in Halloween. Boris announced it on the Saturday. I booked my test on the Sunday, booked my flight on the Monday, and I was gone on the Tuesday. So I was like, just escaped. Was this for... the lockdown just gone in November? Yeah. We did the same. Yeah. I think our flight was put on the same day. We went to Lanzarote. Gone. Uh, yeah, I remember. Yeah. I remember when you guys were there. So... Dubai, quite a sort of influencer capital of the world, mm-hmm. and everybody's probably quite concerned about what they've got going on. Mm-hmm. I went out with a buddy, George Mack. Anyone that subscribes to Modern Wisdom will know him from the Mental Models episodes. Very interesting guy, very unique thinker, kind of I built, built fairly similar to me. And um, we were watching MK DJ live at this open air party, tons of like Emirates girls in like nice dresses and, and club promoters and stuff like that. And we both got someone two different people said to both of us separately the same thing. And then we discussed it afterwards. I was like, what, they said that to you as well? Both of them asked, why are you asking so many questions? Really? To both of us. They were like, what are you asking so many questions for? I'm like, well, I'm interested. The girl that I was talking to who said it was the personal, like an executive assistant for this real high-end property management guy. So what she did was she's kind of like the eye candy that gets taken along to the meetings and see she sort of flutters her eyes a little bit and makes the room a bit prettier because it's all just like these sort of big burly blokes talking about properties and that. Uh, And George was talking to some guy and both of them had said, why are you asking me so many questions? Because I'm interested. But what that shows is that the vast majority of people during conversations just wait for their turn. They wait for the game of tennis to finish so that they can then say their thing. Right, you've finished saying your thing. Let me tell you about Mm me. You're, yeah, whatever. You're done. You're done. Another good example, um, a study was done where they put people onto a plane. This guy had to sit next to the passenger in quite high class, business class or upper class or whatever, for the entire flight, 10-hour flight, and he had to keep him speaking for the whole time but couldn't tell him anything about himself. And then when the people came off the plane, the guy that was the plant left, and the researchers went up to the guy that he was sat next to and said, hi, we're working for the airline. We just wanted to ask you some questions about your experience on the flight. What was the food like? What was the blah, blah, blah. Who he sat next to? Oh, I sat next to this amazing guy. He was so interesting. Really, really great guy. And they went, oh, really? What was his name? He went, I don't know. 
okay, but you said he was really interesting. Well, yeah, but... And what he realized was that for 10 hours, this guy had asked him questions about his life. And the guy that was having the questions asked of him felt like it was this amazing conversation because for the first time ever, somebody actually cared about what he had to say. And then that example came across in this pool party in Dubai when we were like, why are you asking so many questions? That's interesting because as human beings, we like to talk about ourselves. It's just human nature. We love to talk about ourselves. And I think there's some people you find examples of maybe are more aware of that and we'll pick up on that. And even in, I don't know if you watched it this year, people are going to hate me for this. We, we, we watched Love Island. Very haven't seen it. No, yeah, we watched no. this year. I saw my time. And there was a guy called, <laughs> called Brad in there who literally all he did was speak about himself. And he thought he was having great conversations with some of the other girls connecting on really good levels with them. And they were going back and doing the, can we have a chat with the friends and saying, he never asked me one single question. I had to make all the conversation. I had to all ask all the questions, but he thought he was connecting with them really, really well mm-hmm. because obviously he was just talking about himself and really, really loving it and enjoying it. Saying words isn't the same as having a conversation. Yeah, it's an interesting one. It is, and bizarrely, you know everything that you already know. Sometimes during a conversation, as you go backwards and forwards, you'll come up with something that's new and novel to you. But for the most part, it's just reworked versions of things that you already know. I don't know. I know like 1% of the things that you know. It's like the most selfish thing you can do in a conversation is be selfless mm-hmm. and ask the other person because you just get to like mine all of the things. Like over the on the way over here, us talking about business or ads or uh, asking your video guy about the new MacBook releases mm-hmm. and stuff like that because I don't know. Yeah. Whereas if I go, I can't wait for the new iPhone because I think it's going to be this. Like, I don't yeah. know what it's going to be. Know what you don't know and be prepared to accept that boundary and use that as right, okay, this person might do. Fucking drill the shit out of them until they tell you. Well, that's that's such an interesting way that you can always be learning as well. Casually. Ca- casually learning on a conversation. I feel I had great conversations with people at IFS and I noticed a lot of them as in the uh, consumers, the attendees. Att- attendees, they didn't really know what to say to me. And I was like, where have you come from? What are you doing? What's your job? And I don't know if that's, they didn't know what to say. Because yeah. I ask a lot of questions. I'm like, are you enjoying it? Who are you most interested for? I don't know. Better be that, me. If, yeah. <laughs> I was really asking questions, but they were quite quiet. Mm. I don't know if that was because like, Oh, we just wanted to. Well, like, remember as well, like there's, there's a bit of a difference. Like if, if you yeah, went up to, I'm not sure so. who one of your heroes would be, but if you went up to them and they started asking you a bunch of questions, and you're like, "I love you," that's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fucking freak. That's yeah. actually true. Yeah, you probably a bit starstruck in general to yeah. even think how to comprehend a question, yeah. or they. A lot of them actually said to me, "I don't want to waste your time." That's the first thing they come up to. Oh, sorry, I don't want to waste your time. But you, can I have a photo or can we have a chat? I wish people didn't start their conversations with, I don't want to waste your time. Mm. I wish people had the confidence just to say, hi, you're amazing. The, uh, you're coaching. Can you tell me more info? Do you get what I mean? Right. That's a human instinct is to say, oh, I really apologize. I just need to grab you for a second or natural human instinct. It's been interesting speaking to people this weekend and interesting that you mentioned the the thing about grabbing people for a coffee and going for a chat each week. And I think COVID made me realise this even more. I actually don't have a lot of friends. A lot of close friends anyway. I probably Which have like six. It hit me the other day. I was I was speaking to you about and yours, wasn't I? And I was genuinely a bit upset about it. 
So here's here's another really interesting part, man. Like you guys have got success with what you do. You have clout, you have prestige, you have a business that's doing well and is about to do like insane from everything that I can see. But there's a price that you guys pay for this. There genuinely is a price that you guys pay. Like you have you haven't been on holiday for like a, a period of time where you haven't been working in mm-hmm. basically forever. Everything that you do, you've always got in the back of your mind that you need to have content. You've come away for a weekend and had to bring a your video guy with you so that you can actually get some stuff done and so you don't feel guilty about mm-hmm. the fact that you could have created content and not. These are all unseen prices that you guys have to pay to be in the position that you are. And this is a story I told Jordan Peterson, but it's a really good example about why putting anybody on a pedestal is probably a pretty poor idea. You do not know the price that you need to pay to, to pay to be the person that you admire. Mm-hmm. You simply don't. Tiger Woods, like one of the best golfers on the planet, unbelievable, probably the best of all time, mm-hmm. if not if not one of them. And on the golf course, quite rightly, is wholly admired. Uh, admired, right? But I don't want to take relationship advice from him. His dad racially abused him as a kid and called him the N-word and made him have such awful anxiety that he's now on anti-psychotic drugs later in his life because he pushed him and pushed him and pushed him. He pushed him so hard that they had a safe word like you do during rough sex. Really? Tiger had a safe word from his dad for when his dad would stop pushing him and it was called the E-word. It was enough. And he never once said it. And you think there's this five-year-old kid, I think he was on TV hitting golf balls at three years old. And this young child, right, primary school age child or reception age child being pushed so far by his dad that he needs to have a safe word to protect him from when his dad pushes him too far. And he's the sort of kid that never says it. And then you roll the clock forward 20 years and you're like, this guy's an animal. Okay, but what are the externalities of being Tiger Woods? Most public marriage failure that anybody's ever seen in like professional sporting history, wife chasing him down the driveway with a golf club. Um, got pulled over by the side of the road for falling asleep at the wheel of his car on antipsychotic drugs, recently rolled his car and broke both of his legs. He spent half a decade off the sport because he's been injured because of how hard he pushes himself. All right, you love the look of Tiger Woods on the golf course. Do you want to pay the fucking price to Mm -hmm. be Tiger Woods? Because the price that you need to pay to be Tiger Woods is the failed marriage and the antipsychotic drugs and all of this. It's everything. You don't get to pick and choose parts of people's life like clothes off a rail. This is an entire outfit. It's a fucking onesie. Mm -hmm. Like, you have to take the entire thing. Eddie Hall, another good example. Phenomenal guy. Really interesting. I love what he's doing with his YouTube at the moment. I think he's got a great place in the public consciousness. But he says himself, if he hadn't won World's Strongest Man that year, he would probably either be dead and or single because his marriage was on the rocks. He didn't have a relationship with his kids. He was so heavy and pushing himself so hard that his health was out the window. And... People look at him within this narrow domain of success and say, right, I want to be Eddie Hall. Look at this glory that he gets. It must be so cool. He's up on this stage. He's beaten half toys. Got this, he's super, super strong. And you go, okay, you do not know the fucking price that you need to pay Mm -hmm. to be Eddie Hall. And you probably wouldn't fucking pay it. Conor McGregor, this guy who's worth hundreds of millions of dollars, the number one paid athlete on the planet. All right. Do you want to live in your parents' attic for 10 years, rolling the same sequences, throwing the same combinations on fucking job seekers allowance with your missus, not knowing if it's ever going to be sorted? No, you probably wouldn't. And this is the same with you guys. Like there is a price that you guys have had to pay to get to the position that you do now. And one of those prices is with your social life. It's the fact that when you actually look back, all of the times that you've said, no, I can't go out on this night out. No, I can't go to this birthday. I can't go to this barbecue. I'm not going to be able to go to your wedding or your stag do or whatever it might be. 
all of those things, they accumulate over time to create a life that is the sort of life that you want to lead. But this is where it comes, it, there has to be a personal choice. Like, what do you value? Do you want to value success at all costs? Because the costs might be really, really, really high and you might not be able to see them. So yeah, people need to be very cautious about the idols that they create for themselves because mm -hmm. a lot of the time you wouldn't be prepared to to um, pay the price that you need to be in order to be them. It's a place that diminishing returns, isn't it, of what point did you get to before those sacrifices enough are enough and you've made too many of them? And it happens exactly the same with, with, with fat loss, for example. There's a place where you sacrifice more and more and more, but you don't get too much more from it or you think that you would, but realistically you're getting this gain, but you're never really enjoying it. And, and that's why I was having this conversation with Lucy the other day in regards to the friends thing as well and trying to weigh up, well, is it a point of I have pushback against other people and cutting people out because mm. I was doing it to sacrifice success from what we wanted to do? Or is it a case of I've just cut away from the people who didn't really ever support me yeah. and didn't really show any other interest? And I, I, have, I have friends in a different, very different group now. And I have some friends from sort of the school era, the, the OGs who are still keeping contact with some of them. It's just not as close of a knit as a circle that it used to be. And all that circle has become a lot smaller than what it once was. Well, here's another thing that as you decide to live a less normal life, like what you guys do, apps, you know, bootstrapping your own business, spending all of this money to build an app, to do a platform, to create a community, to do that thing. By definition, there's going to be fewer and fewer people like you out there that can resonate with what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Like how many people can you have a conversation with about the specific challenges? Like even at IFS, which is a, a filter for these people, maybe 10 people in the room actually fully, fully, fully understand what mm -hmm. it is that you guys are doing and why you're doing the things that you do out of a thousand that are there specifically for that. Mm -hmm. Take a broad cross section of the country. Basically, no one knows what you're doing or why you're doing it. So of course you're not going to resonate with these people super, super well. Mm -hmm. And this is why <clears throat> if someone wants to strike out on their own or do something a little bit different, you need a lot of sort of self-motivation to just get past that immediate discomfort. Okay, like I now have no one to talk to about this basically because none of my friends understand what I'm trying to do. And then what you should try and do is what you guys have, which is, okay, I'm going to pick up some contacts that really do kind of resonate with me over time and that I can just bounce off a little bit more. But that's a price that people need to pay as well. If you want to live a, a, an abnormal life, you're going to have fewer people that understand what you do. I also think as well, as you start to grow up as an adult, you start to understand that you don't need this friendship group with 20 people in who you just kind of know. You need six close best mates who are always going to be there for you. My best mates live all over the country. Fliss is one of my best friends. I get to see her every every few months. She's in London. My other one's in Bristol. I've got one close friend at home. They're, they're kind of all over. And I wouldn't change that for the world now. I really struggled at uni because I created Lucy Davis Fit in second year of uni. I had two really like close friends at uni who I don't speak to that much now because they don't really get why I did what I did back then. I was classed as very boring. Mm -hmm. Doing this, yeah, doing too. that. You're boring, you've no social life. And I look back now, I'm like, yeah, okay, I probably missed out on a few nights out. There's a few things I didn't do. However, doing what I do now, I wouldn't change it for the world. So I wouldn't change the position that I'm in now of having five or six close friends. Mm -hmm. And I also think this is an actual common thing that as you start to grow up a bit, it's kind of okay 
not to have a massive friendship group and people I think there's a stigma behind not having loads of friends as you grow up and people like you said like oh god like I can't I don't have like loads of friends no you don't have loads I don't have loads but I have the select few who mean so much to me and who will like always be in my life now I think there's when I say friends I obviously have friends I don't want people on the YouTube channel <laughs> thinking, I'll be a friend I'll be <laughs> not no, a fucking charity game don't worry but, but I don't have, have a, a the closest group yeah and obviously that happens when you're younger you you know I went on a lad's holiday when I was, was like 18 there was 22 of us there yeah. one of the where guys the like, I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't have trusted to fucking yeah. come into where, a hotel where, room where were they yeah. where yeah. are they now so, but again like as you grow up you let go this is what I was saying before like you have to let go of the old versions of you if you want to grow. There's a choice here that you need to make. Okay, do I want to perhaps sacrifice something that might be meaningful to me in terms of a pursuit for my life direction in order to stay more relatable to people and, and have friends? And maybe, I don't know, because I'm not hyper-social. Like, I love being around people. This weekend's been awesome. Mm-hmm. I also am I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back into my routine and spending a bit of time on my own to get my energy yes. back. Um Someone out there may say, I'm not prepared to sacrifice my friends for a life. And that is fine. That's your value judgment. Maybe other people are built in slightly different ways where they think, look, the friends that want to come along with me, that's great. And the ones that don't also, that's fine. Um, The concern is that you don't realize that you're sacrificing a life that you might want to be with friends that are only friends with you because you're like wasting your time along Mm -hmm. with them. This is what you learn. Our first conversation was about sobriety. This is what you learn when you go sober. How many of your friends are you only friends with because you drink in the same spots at the same time of night? And how many of them can you only bear to be around when you're pissed? Like, a, a lot. Mm-hmm. If you're a young working class guy or girl from the UK, a hell of a lot. Alcohol is a huge part. It's a rite of passage that you go through in life. And you realize these really weren't friends. They were just sort of drinking partners. I think that's quite hard for people to accept sometimes. So when I was a swimmer, I was also at high school and college and I was really, the, the swimming people were like a family. I was with them nine times a week. We spent all the time together. I swam for 10 years. I, my best friend who I met when I was 10 is the only one out of 10 years. My one best friend, Becky, is the only one that I now speak to after 10 years. Mm. So it kind of just shows when I was in that swimming environment for so long, I was friends with those people because that's what I was doing at that moment in time. And as I started to move away and I went into fitness, all the girls I swam with, except Becky, were bitching about what I was doing. I didn't know for years. They but were on doing top of that, that even I if it told. wasn't just bitching, it's just that you don't have the same things to it's talk the, about that, so much anymore. And that's yeah. okay sometimes. It's actually okay to move away and friends change and things happen. If I bumped into anyone for a coffee, that was, or a coffee I could go with anyone who I swam with, and it's actually okay Call that them out on the things. fact that they were bitching about you. Yeah, mm. call them out. I called them out on last week's podcast and that was yeah, Tiffany. Yeah. Um, it's okay that things change. I think it's quite hard for people as they start to grow up and friendship change or you move a different part of the country. People think it's an awkward thing, but I think I've actually just really come to terms with having close It takes a lot it. of self-confidence mm-hmm. though to do that. Yeah, I think it does. Yeah, like no, you I need agree. to love you. You need to love yourself to be okay with other people not it, it feeling like other people don't love you as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a challenging one, and everyone needs to do this. <clears throat> Everybody needs to get through this. All young people need to, you know, you're not the same person that you were when you were swimming. You're not the same person that you were when you were at uni. You're not the same person that you were when you went away on the lads' holiday mm-hmm. with twenty-two other guys. Like, okay, that's fine. This is a part of life. Just leave it there. I think people do get worried about it. 
especially when they reach certain points in their life as well and they potentially start to reflect a little bit of those people who, who are around them. But I'm one of those people who, for example, where I live in Manchester now, when I go home to Liverpool, the first person I'll usually message is my sister because I'll go and take my little nephew out who's three years old and I love... Spe- Baby, drop me in it now. He's, he's five years old. It's like, well, there's only a kid just doesn't grow yeah. up. He's still, yeah. he's still he's two. A, he's the same, same kid he was two years. COVID happened, baby. It's, it's two years that passed that didn't really happen. So I go and take him out and I have the, probably some of the best times yep. that I have him. And it, I don't know if it's almost a, a form of escapism for me that I can have weekends where I can be a child again when, relating back to when I didn't have a job, when I wasn't doing stuff on social media, when I didn't have bills to pay, when I didn't have responsibilities and I can just piss around with him at the fair for a couple of hours and, and they're some of the best times that I now have which I'm, sh- I'm sure I'll have later down the line if when we have kids but that's actually an interesting point as well because when myself and Ben work together we live together and we're in a relationship we spend a lot of time together fucking sick of each other yeah, yeah fucking <laughs> literally but that works very very well for us and probably at the time with certain friends they were like God, spend so much time together. I'm like, yeah, I wonder why. Yeah. We run a business together. We live together. It's kind of, it's never affected us, but it's clearly affecting your perception of us. Or maybe second guessing their own relationships. You never know, do you? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. It's very rare. It's very, very rare that people would be so comfortable to be able to do. I mean, how many, how many, <laughs> other, how many other couples? So I was, I was talking to a, a few guys this weekend who have... Uh, built up businesses and then their their wives have come on to to do some sort of like role within the business um but I don't think there's anyone that I know that's got it as intense as you guys do with what it is that you do so you have to understand even with that that you guys are outliers mm-hmm. you know like yeah perhaps it can be done but it's so rare that the only people that I know that have managed to do it are you two so yeah I mean it's that's definitely true. a good thing there's there's a a question man like talking about kids and stuff like that the the um the lack of a role model for young guys that are looking forward to having kids. Like I, my business partner's just had his third and every time that I go around and spend time with them because one was four years ago, one was two years ago and one's now. Mm-hmm. Like the one that was four years ago, I was like, fucking annoying, he gets in the way, he like <laughs> cries all the time and does this thing. Second kid, exactly the same action, but I was a little bit older and I was like, oh, yeah, well, okay. He's like, he's, I'm sure he's cool or whatever. This most recent one, I'm like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Watching myself grow yeah. up in front of my eyes and um, that's another learning process, you know? Like, do you want to have a family? If you want to have a family, you're going to have to concede that your business or your career or whatever is going to take a hit. Yes. Are you prepared to let that go? These are all different things. Like, letting go of the past version of you, that identity change is, like, difficult. And obviously some people use that, and you're seeing loads of partners and relationships where the bloke will go down the pub for a fucking pint on a on a Saturday night because they're looking for an escape from the, yep. from the partner at times. And... We've asked this in the last couple of episodes, so I wanted to put it to you as well. I don't know whether you have them, but we're going to create a situation where you do. What are your three non-negotiables for a relationship? Oh, that's a good question. That's a very good question. Okay, so um, the three areas in which I found the most success... I think that having non-negotiables around relationships can be challenging because then as soon as you set those rules, somebody comes in that doesn't meet any of the criteria and you go, you are fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. 
and you're like, oh, God, okay, I thought I knew everything that I needed to know about this, and it's comp- it might be the same with you guys. I'm never going to see a scouser, and then this dickhead comes along. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, he has, Shake to, the has tree. to not be. Yeah, has to not be from from Liverpool. Um, I would certainly say that for me, somebody that's growth minded, it needs to be somebody that's prepared to try and improve themselves because it's such a fundamental part of who I am as a person. And it can sound quite sort of wanky to be like, oh, I just want everyone that wants to grow. It sounds like you're never going to be done or never going to be satisfied. It's like, no, I just want someone that I can invest my time in. Like, I want to make the wife and children that I end up having when I start a family absolute monsters. Like, I want them to be the most balanced. They're going to have none of the problems that I had when I was a kid. Like, they're going to dispense with all of the psychological Mm -hmm. challenges that I I, I had to fucking deprogram over the last however many years. (laughs) I can't wait to do that. Like, I really, really can't wait to be an awesome dad and an awesome husband. And I wouldn't have been able to say this 10 years ago because I hadn't done the work. Like, I'm worthy now of being the sort of dad that I want to be because of how much time I've spent doing it. But I need somebody that can match that level of sort of personal growth with me. So personal growth would be one of them. An interest in fitness would be another. The reason for that is partly physical in that it's attractive to me, but more than that, it's a signal about the the sort of person that they are. They're industrious, they're self-motivated, they're conscientious, they can stick to a routine, they've got discipline. It just ticks off so many of the boxes. Mm -hmm. Like the person that isn't able to motivate themselves to go to the gym consistently or stick to a diet consistently or go to a training plan probably can't motivate themselves as easily to stay faithful or to look after the kids correctly or to do these sort of other things. I'm sure that there are other domains. The gym isn't the only domain within which you can be disciplined. Someone could be disciplined at work. They mm-hmm. could be whatever. Um, but for me, that's usually a pretty good identifier. Um, what would a final one be? I think it would be somebody, a non an absolute non-negotiable would be somebody that isn't seeking validation from the outside world. Um, and that has to be someone that, doesn't need reassurance. I'm happy to be the person that provides the reassurance, but someone that's clout chasing and constantly trying to prove to themselves and the world that they are worthy of attention, it's just a huge turnoff for mm-hmm. me. Um, I, I don't want to be with somebody, because I've done the self-work, right? Because I've been that guy and I'm now not, or at least a, a lot less so. It triggers in me, it's like a projection of old version yeah. of me. Uh, and you know the people who want to go and do the cloud chasing stuff that's totally cool but it's like I'm not going to be in a relationship with you yeah like that's fine uh, so those would be the reason why I asked that is as well because one I, I think sort of condensing down to three is, is a good thing because you could go on and on we've had a conversation before in respect to I'm sure there'll be some guys be like I'm not going out there because that toe is bigger than that toe and it becomes a this fucking never ending list of the, the you always talk effect. about toes because I have a really dodgy toe. It's not even because of that. What's but dodgy with it? It's like a frying pan, but it's, it's you could cook a full English on it, basically. Yeah, there's <laughs> the one next to my little toe and kind of my little toe as well. I always ask my mum, "Did you drop me on my toe when I was born or something?" Because it's only on one side. Only on one side. It's it's <laughs> they're under my other toes, basically. Okay. Not. It's like a sideways toe. I think it needs a metal rod in just. It looks like a chicken drumstick. It needs All a right, metal yeah. rod to. But it's not one of Ben's non-negotiables toes. Even, even, <laughs> even, even if you wear a toe, I'd still love you nonetheless. But and then it's a, there's that other thing that I don't believe that you should have to sell because, for example, one of one of mine that was very important was that the person that I was with was into fitness, not just accepted it, 
that I went to the gym and it was an important part of my life, mm. but was also on that level. Yeah. Because why? I don't want to go out of a fucking gluttonous slob. And why should I have to settle for that and accept it? Because then it might have an impact on me as well. So that was one of the ones for me because I don't believe that anyone should really have to settle for anything because you wouldn't you, I know a lot of people do do it sometimes and they settle and they compromise within relationships but it's very unlikely that you would accept a lot of those at the very very start of a relationship yeah I think the the, the gym one is an interesting an interesting analogy because I think that the, the number one reason that most relationships don't work is just because of schedule mismatch like you can find someone physically attractive with a really compelling personality but they work nights and you work days like that relationship's fucked. Mm -hmm. Now, all it is is a, a, a variance of that same problem all the way down to the fact that she likes to read books and you want to watch Netflix or she wants to go and watch a team sport and you want to go and lift weights in the gym. Like the closer that you can get your schedules to align like that, the more options that you have to spend time together. Mm -hmm. This doesn't mean that you have to do it. This doesn't mean that you have to live outside of each other's pockets like you two do. Um, but what it does mean is that you have the option to, to find more options areas to bond in. Uh, I had Dr. Taylor Burroughs, who is a, a couples counsellor, had her on the show a long time ago, and she said the number one reason why people's relationships don't work is because of schedule mismatch. And then the next one would be values mismatch. Like, okay, what are the fundamental bases that your life is built upon? Like, mine is curiosity, adventure, self-development, excellence, and self-care. Five words, cases. It spells out an acronym. That's how I can how remember. How did you find that? Uh, so if anyone wants to do their own personal values... Search Taylor Pearson core values. It's a free uh, blog article by my buddy Taylor. It'll take you, if you do it properly, it'll take you probably about two days. If you do it quickly, it'll take you half a day. Really? It took me like a week to do. Big list of them. And you go through and you think, right, okay, what do I want? You have to get it down to five. And the problem isn't choosing them. It's getting it down to mm -hmm. five. Um, so I know that as long as everything I do fits into one of those five buckets, I'm happy. So I need somebody else that's got some of those. Like if I like adventure and this person doesn't want to travel and stays home with their family all the time, that's a fundamental mismatch yes. in our values, which will then lead out into our scheduling in life. If I'm really interested in excellence and getting things done well because it makes me feel fulfilled, but they don't mind about leaving the dishes or waking up late or sleeping in or having a cheap meal like every other weekend or something or every weekend or every day, that's, that, that's going to cause friction between the two of us. And it's just the same thing all the way down. Like curiosity, like if the person, that other person isn't curious when I want to start harassing them about like, so tell me, tell me about why this, this and this thing. And they're like, oh, I don't really know. I'm not no, really not bothered. Again. Yeah, yeah, Chris, <laughs> stop podcasting me. Why are you asking me so many questions? Yeah, um, yeah it, it's the values in the schedule are really, really important. Have you ever read, I was, I was going to say, do you want to? I was just going to say, super interested in the schedules. When I was a swimmer, I had to date a swimmer. The, only, was, the only way that you're going to be able to find time. Where did it all go wrong? Where did it all go wrong? No joke. Well, I am the house brick of the pool. I just sink. There's nothing about me that is buoyant at all. No, nothing. but my point is, I train nine times a week. I woke up in the morning at half four. So did the other person because they swam mm. with me. That kind of, kind of sad. The reason we were together is because we swam. It's the only way that you could do it. Yeah. That's the only way. It, physically, and when I quit, our, our relationship ended. Bye. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> but in like, we didn't, we had the same identity. I identified for 10 years as a swimmer. Yep. Core values I, are similar. 
I, yeah, completely. I introduce myself to people. Oh, I'm a swimmer. Mm-hmm. I don't. What do you say now? Hi, I'm Lucy Davis. Oh, oh Lucy Davis. Oh my on Instagram. God. Yeah, I'm, I'm category of one. Well, <laughs> well no. I can, what I more so do now, I so set myself a bit more to social media. Yeah. I say, oh, I'm Lucy Davis. I'm an online coach, owner of the My Coach School, host Not So Fit Core podcast. What I used to do is, I'm Lucy Davis Fit. I used oh, okay. to introduce myself as my Instagram handle <laughs> because that's more so what I started to identify with. I was like, Correct, I'm not, yeah. I'm actually, yeah. I'm an online coach. Yeah. I'm a businesswoman. I host a podcast. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I do some things on Instagram. For me now, my priorities have changed significantly in terms of, oh, I don't just do Instagram. That's kind of probably the least of, that's just, that's just part of the process. Now ecosystem, that's more so yeah. ecosystem, that's marketing. It's just, that's that. I'm an online coach and I host a podcast and I have an amazing coaching school. But I think, again, that's, I mean, I'm still only 24. It's something that I'm still, I'm still learning with, but I guess I started quite young with what I'm doing. I started when I was 18. So it's quite different. Yeah. The, the one thing I was going to say, have you read The Five Love Languages? No. That's quite a good book. Is it? I listened to the Audible version. Oh yeah, that, that it was, was ages it ago. It was really, really, that was it years ago. That was really, really good. It, it, it was about, this couple and this guy who got together, but they didn't really communicate on a level. And it's because we all, I think there's five different love languages, if I remember correctly. And there's different ways that different people will hear you say, basically, I love you, different ways, whether that's tangible oh, gifts, I do receiving know, stuff. Yeah, I do it's know like this. I've heard giving, of it. Yeah. Receiving yeah. gifts, yes. listening. Cool. And they didn't really discover it until they found that what their love language was and they were kind of driving each other insane from yeah. stuff because they couldn't hear it even though they were saying talking, it. Like you're talking in different languages. Yes. So it's, it's a re- if anyone who basically is in a relationship, it's quite a good, easy, simple read or listen. Mm-hmm. The one thing you just have to look past is that they are very, very religious as well and kind of believe that for these other stuff. I mean, we all know that Jesus and God is about as real as the two fairies, so the big band is, is a thing. Um, so you just need to look past that bit, but that, that's a really good one for... For relationships as well to kind of first delve into. I think I think mine were gift giving and affection. They were my two love I mean, languages. I love gifts, so carry on, carry on, babe. Yeah, but it's I don't. Great. I get a bit awkward receiving, giving gifts to to Ben, buying him things. I just that's why it works so well because I fucking love getting of, of my sister or family or whatever it is, and then somebody else showing me affection. They were my they were my love languages. I wish I could remember all five. But that was actually super interesting because yours were the complete opposite to mine. Funny. Yeah. Do you know what the big one for me is? A thing of relationships I was speaking to someone about the other day. And one of the, probably the main ones that I've taken from his book, whether he meant in this way or not, was one of Jordan Peterson's rules about not lying or at least telling the truth. Even those really small, simple lies that I've spoke to friends about relationships that they potentially would have told, even if it's just going there, I'm not really, or I'm just doing this, but I'll just tell that how they manifest and eventually every lie comes out eventually no matter what. And that was one of the, the things when I was reading this book I took away and I had to think about how many times even those really small lies had manifested and yeah. and, and and come up to, to cause some kind of chaos in, in some form. So Whether, even if they don't, even if there's not an externality down the line, you know yourself. Your faith in your own word gets degraded every time that you tell a tiny little lie. 
Have you read Lying by Sam Harris? No. Okay, so this is a one-hour read. Everybody that is listening, if you want to just get the easiest read of the day that will probably fundamentally change your life, get Lying by Sam Harris. Lying it's a one-hour one hour treatise on why you should never lie, basically. As it is, it's a very short book. Very short book. One okay. hour. It's like 70 pages long. Okay. Um, and you, you can get it on Audible. It's read by him. It's very, very good. Um, and it's just... it systematically breaks down all of the reasons about why you might think that you would want to lie and then goes, you don't want to do this because of this, you don't want to do this because of this. And he does draw some distinctions that are quite interesting. But when you don't have faith in your own word, when you meet someone and they ask, what did you get up to this weekend? And you make up a thing to make you sound more cool than you were, even though it doesn't matter, and even though it's not going to come back and bite you, like there's just a little ticker in the back of a little counter in the back of your mind that's going like that was another lie that was another lie what's the subtext of what you're telling yourself there what i actually did somehow isn't good enough to tell the world mm -hmm. i need to kind of live two different versions of personality like we were talking about earlier on i don't think it's a very good way to operate at all and if you read that book and you can come out of it and not be like Fuck, i really need yeah. to tell the truth about a lot of things here so i'm actually reading a book <clears throat> at the moment called use use useful delusions and it's about lying and self-deception, but it has a very interesting take on the little white lies, for example. The kids don't listen to this podcast, do they really? Children. I fucking hope like, not. Like parents say to their kids, Santa's coming. Mm -hmm. That in this book is more so seen as an accept. That's still a lie. Mm. You're lying to your kid. Yeah. But sometimes there's a level. Right. More so. And they do it with people, do it with parents, do it with children all the time. Oh, if you stop crying, I'll buy you a toy. Mm -hmm. Well, no, you're not going to buy them a toy. You just actually want them to shut up. And the book is really, if you've not read it, Useful Delusions, it is called that. It's a interesting. super interesting read. I'm only about halfway through. But it's about the self-deception that you're actually giving off. It doesn't just do it with like parents and children. It goes through that adult life and things as well. But there's certain scenarios where you wouldn't say to your four-year-old, no, San Santa's not real. Mm. You're still lying, but it's in a very, more so a different scenario. Super interesting. You'd, you'd love it. I'd never say, I'm, my kids believe in Santa until they're like 15. <laughs> still real. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> Those kids at school are shilling you. Yeah, exactly. I think there's any kids that have got past the dildo part that, that parents have allowed them to listen to this far end. There's yeah. something fucking morally wrong. Correct. Yeah, on the true. on the note of relationships and dildos, this was something that I was going to speak to you about as well. Of course, there's been a specialist subject, indeed, Chris. That's why you're on. There's been a, there's been a lot of stuff happening with OnlyFans at the moment. Yes, lots of movement. I think there's been something new again this week in regards to the guidelines that first kind of caused this whole ruckus, and they are now allowed to keep some pornography on there. So nudity's been reallowed. Basically, they reversed their position. Yes. Um, uh, for anyone that doesn't know, OnlyFans is a platform kind of like Patreon that allows creators to make adult content and non-adult content that can be supported by their fans. Yeah. And it kind of got off the ground as a way for amateur guys and mostly girls to produce homemade porn. So that's or, the way I mean, Lucy Matt. Of course. Yeah. Uh, solo porn. I thought it was on Grindr. It's not. It's um, absolutely not. You two are way too comfortable about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Definitely not. And for a very long time, they've generated terrifying amounts of money. Uh, I think that they're valued at over a billion. They've been bought by this guy who owns the adult video network. And the, the owner's actually from Essex, British guy. Really? Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For born and bred. And then about a week and a half ago, they announced that they were going to stop nudity 
on the site, apart from very particular types of nudity. So all of the creators that were on there were out of job. They were shit, shit out of luck. It's like not many people go onto OnlyFans. Some do, but not many people go onto OnlyFans for normal content. So there's cases like legs that now have to be closed instead of open. And uh, I don't know. I don't know what the specifics were. Presumably, they would have had to really kind of stipulate the regulations. Yes. But the long and short of it was stop fucking yourself on camera. Yeah. And there was a lot of kickback from creators like this. I had Chelsea Ferguson on the podcast a while ago. Now she made yeah, no, Chelsea Ferguson. Yeah, so she made the of course you do. She made the um, a, another version, a similar version called AdmireMe.VIP, which is uh, OnlyFans but slightly different platform. And she was saying, she told me at the time she was having a nightmare with banking. So oh. the way that it works is the platform takes all of the money from the creators and then pays it back out minus their cut. But that means that you need to run all of this porny revenue through your business and she was running like millions a month top line revenue through and then paying it back out so she had to go to some weird german bank in order to be able to get banking barclays santander like british banks just wouldn't touch her because of the money like i don't know the money that it was handling how it was being delivered and the justification for only fans switching it was because they were having banking problems so as soon as that happened i thought that makes sense i've heard yeah. from, i've heard from chelsea already that this is a challenge the kickback from their creators was so insane and so aggressive. And I think that they realized, I, the only thing that I can presume is they realized how much they were going to lose, how much money they were going to lose. But I don't understand, like, who looked at OnlyFans as a platform and thought, yeah, this is going to be the new Patreon. But no, people are here to see nudity mm -hmm. and that's it. Mm -hmm. um, and then they've reversed their position again. One of the things that I thought was kind of weird or funny to see on there was that when they reversed their position, a lot of the creators, the girls that have got like nudie photos in their, on their profiles, commented saying, I want you to pay me all of the lost revenue from the people that have left the platform over the last couple of months. So hang on a second, you were complaining about the fact that you just lost the platform. They're now giving you it back and you're still complaining? Something that you never had, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's been, um, it's an interesting one. Do you know how much of our top creators are making on that? Terrifying. Yeah, I've got. I'm friends. Millions. I'm friends with a girl called Ella Silva, who used to be a like a playboy, playgirl, and I think she makes like a quarter of a mil a month. <sighs> the thing is, though, yeah. uh, with like zero it, costs, like the, the only costs are like your ransomers, like dildo expenses, which you can probably run through the business anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, one, it's of, tax one, one of our guests knows all about those yeah, uh, dildo expenses, but it's it's whether you have like the morality and the and what, where you're. I suppose life morals are to mm -hmm. be okay with that. And we've discussed that previously about other people. And there's, there's some people who are very, very happy doing it and live very, very good lives from it. Personally, I couldn't and then or be with someone further down the line who had been on that. I think you'd have to be a very specific person to be able Correct. to feel okay about knowing that your partner had been that type of person. Yeah, there's this, there's like a thing with it now though where couples do it. Together, big, yeah. yeah, yeah, and I'm not, I'm just, I'm was just that thinking, a suggestion was it no, no, absolutely I mean, not. If the micro school goes tits up, <laughs> and fucked up then. you'll see, you'll see us on there, yeah. but it's I'd subscribe, it's more so. So, that's probably, I don't know, is that a non negotiable for me in relationship for anyone else to see bare naked? <laughs> yeah, I mean, actually, absolutely that should have been the not. first one, like, yeah, no porn, yeah, no, no I porn. don't want, I Avoid don't want porn. other people to see, correct. Um, so I think their type of relationship must be a different very unique, type. Right? Very unique is the, on, is the only I way mean, that I think about could. some of the ways that people are trying to re-engineer relationships now to match up with the world that we see. 
polyamory or non-monogamy generally, you know, sort of one mm-hmm. it typically is uh, like something fluid. Like you can sleep with other people. There's varying degrees of non-monogamy. Polyamory is like quite an intense version of that, but you can have other so ones. So what does that mean? So uh, non-monogamy would be that both partners or or one partner are permitted to physically be intimate with others. Mm-hmm. Um, then you can kind of roll it forward to where you have like a main partner and then you can have emotional connections with other ones and then you can kind of roll it even further down the line where basically you're just a totally liberate, which is kind of the same as being single, but you're somehow also in a relationship. Yeah. Varying different ways that people have tried to re-chop relationships to match up with a world in which you can become anything that you want. Mm-hmm. Right. So in a meritocracy, your successes are yours to bear, your failures are yours to bear. You can go from working class to top, top, top level 1% earner on the planet within the space of your lifetime. People have tried to take that model and map it onto relationships and be like, right, okay, so this marriage for life thing, that seems constricting and old. Like, why don't we try and reinvent that? And you go, right, okay, I understand why you want to do it. I understand that kind of turning things upside down and saying, well, I don't mind if my partner gets naked on camera and this is, this is cool. There are a lot of evolutionary drivers that protect you from having your mate be sexually adv- like advertorial to other people. That's not a thing. It would have never been a thing. Mm-hmm. The people that would have let their mate be sexually promiscuous would have been competed out of the gene pool by people that kept their mate tight. Yeah, That's what it feels like. If you're in a relationship with somebody and you feel like they're pulling away, that compulsion you get, that feeling in your stomach, that worry, that anxiety, what does it cause you to do? It causes you to do something called mate guarding. So that's what jealousy does as well. Yeah. So you mate guard more tightly. Why does mate guarding exist? Because your ancestors that mate guarded protected their partner from being taken away by other men or women that were perhaps going to take them away. If you spend more time, if you're more intense, if you're more anxious and you're more on edge looking for, oh, they didn't quite love me the same way, they, they maybe they've talked to that person for a little bit too long, you're going to kill off those little different opportunities for that relationship to break down. So I think that when we try and turn stuff upside down that has obviously been developed over a very long time, mm like relationships, like long-term sort of at least serial monogamy. I think that there's maybe an argument to be made that relationships for all of life, you know, the married at 19 and then sort of until death do us part type thing. I think there's maybe an argument to be made that perhaps that wouldn't have been completely mapped throughout our entire existence because most people were dead by the time they were 35 Mm. or 40. So all of this extra period, there's not a model that exists for that. Maybe we can we can play about with that. But saying I am fine with my partner being naked on camera and advertising the most intimate parts of themselves for everybody else on the internet to have a look at, it takes a very particular type of person to be able to to accept that. And that may be for you, uh, but it's not for me. 100%. I have a question because you just mentioned the word and I'm curious to just pick your brain. Jealousy, mm-hmm. not even just in a relationship, maybe talking from a business sense as well, or comparison, looking at the people being jealous of people who maybe you would perceive more successful. This could be in a relationship. I'm also bringing it into business. What is your take on jealousy? And do you, do you believe it is a completely negative trait or is it more of a natural human instinct? I think it's very natural. Yeah. Quite rightly, you see somebody that is in a position that you want to be in yourself and you think, right, I would like to get that. It's a motivating force. It tells you where you are in the status hierarchy, right? Mm-hmm. 
reminds you that you could do some more work to get to this place. That being said, like, it's the only one. So envy is the only one of the seven sins that doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. All of the other ones feel good. Lust and greed and gluttony and all that stuff, sloth, like even wrath, you know, like being yeah. angry can feel satisfying. Anyone that likes to get into fights will tell you that. Jealousy doesn't. It's like there's literally just no place for it. The um, I spoke to a transhumanist, a guy called David Pierce, who's basically trying to up-level all of civilization through a combination of technology and drugs. And um, one of the first things that he would get rid of would be envy thinks it's a completely useless emotion. So for the most part, I would agree. But it does give you a little bit of motivation. You know, this weekend, perfect example, I have a conversation with guys that are earning terrifying amounts of mm -hmm. money per month. I'm not massively materialistic, but I've come away from it definitely thinking, actually, yeah, maybe, maybe you should sort of step your game up a little bit. Maybe what you thought was close to the limit of where you're capable to get to monetarily isn't. Is that jealousy? Is it maybe... Um, like some sort of influence, I'm impressed by them, but it's just you think, yeah, like this could be, this could be a big deal. Like it, it, it definitely does influence people. It could be more so. Well, I've come away from that being quite inspired by people I've listened to. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've had a level of jealousy. I used to be quite a jealous person, like significantly always looking like what's next, who's better than me, and I don't really see it as that anymore. It's everyone's on the level playing field they're just doing different things different chapters in whatever field they're in i've definitely come away inspired yeah, yeah that's a good way to put it. I, th yeah. I i think we could we woke up this morning and i was i was like fueled i was fire like in your belly i think had I, a fire in my belly that's another thing i just surround yourself with people there's people that you surround yourself with or there's people that you're with and you'll, mm -hmm. you'll take motivation from that but i spoke to my therapist about jealousy as well and that was very interesting and uh it gave me a, de a very different spin on it almost. How so? Especially because I always viewed it in a very negative way, so they will suppress it and never speak about it. Mm -hmm. And then just opening my mind to it being another emotion, which was okay to feel. Yeah. I think we're all, it's always one of those emotions that we're told not to feel when we express, whether it's with someone else, whether it's on social media, especially it, it's hit back with a, a negative hand rather than openly spoke about. And, I've been in situations where I've been jealous of stuff that Lucy's done before, but never spoken about it. And it kind of ate away at me until I said to her and communicated it with her. And then straight away, Fixed felt it felt great. Yeah. Yeah. I've had that situation with friends, like close buddies that are also achieving really well. So the, the people that you're most jealous of don't tend to be people that are really different to you. Like no one's really that jealous of Conor McGregor. They just admire what he's done. Yeah. What you're jealous of are the people of small differences. So the ones that are kind of like you, that you think, oh, I could be like that. Why? Well, because ancestrally, the guy that's the the young, whatever, beat a male dude that just works in the fields isn't jealous of the chief. He's jealous of the guy that's one or two rungs above him that he thinks he might be able to get close to. So as you observe that inside of yourself, you can just say, okay, well, where's this coming from? Do I actually want to pay the price I need to mm -hmm. to be that person that I admire or that I'm jealous of? Probably fucking not. Probably not. Elon Musk, like one of the smartest guys on the planet, running all of these companies, flying to Mars, putting rocket the cars in rocket ships and yeah. floating them around the... Sp His Tesla's still orbiting, yeah, you know? Yeah, crazy. Ridiculous. With the guy inside of it. <laughs> yeah. Rocket man! Like, and... What? But you don't know the price that he had to pay. Like, maybe he hasn't had an erection in six months. Maybe he can't bear to look at himself in the mirror. Maybe he's not had a conversation with his father in a year. Like, you don't know. So, yeah, I think jealousy is a difficult one to deal with. 
But for the most part, you, you, you just wouldn't want to be that person. So you can get away with it that way. Mm. Yeah, I like that. Spinning it back to OnlyFans and the payment gateway. I think there was something similar happened with one of the other big companies like Pornhub or something like that. They, Carl was actually speaking to him about it the other day. Of course he will. Yeah. I don't know Special what he was just <laughs> we, have to, we have to be careful with search history and what's going on on his laptop most of the time because we've got some bills back to the business account which look very, very, hey, so it's always I, you, jizz, me, all oh, that kind of stuff. No. But with, I think he was saying, <laughs> it was something to do with PayPal or Stripe or one of those payment gateways. They eventually pulled out and supporting something sure like Pornhub that. or something like that because allegations of child pornography. Yes, so they had the, whatever it was, Pornageddon, where they got rid of some huge percentage, like 30% of content on the website was deleted. And I think that that was because some underage content had been found yeah. that hadn't been sufficiently well vetted. And yeah, because when you think about YouTube, Pornhub's basically like YouTube, but with with the adult restrictions taken off. If you will, yeah. So yeah, people can upload using... Is that what it looks like? It looks like YouTube. Don't pretend like you don't know what it looks like. I Lucy. have never in my yeah. life... Disgusting. Never yeah. in my life. Never. Pinky never swear. in your life gone on Pornhub. Never in my life. What's wrong with you? A pinky swear? <laughs> I, I, I don't want to touch that pinky. Uh, <laughs> I don't know where it's been. <laughs> Not on Pornhub. <laughs> They don't got to worry about. No, but does it actually look like YouTube? Yeah, it's basically that... exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. Wow. literally exactly the same. Um, there's even a suggested if you have a profile, they're like suggesting your content, like yeah. similar to what you watch. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I, it doesn't surprise me, man. I mean the the whole the whole adult industry at the moment is just coming crashing up against a whole bunch of other intersecting yeah. desires. Like you need to empower women. We need to mm-hmm. be sexually liberal, but also we want to kind of reinforce family structure and blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of conflicting ideologies happening here. I mean, that's one of the reasons why people always said that OnlyFans was going to fall eventually. It was only a matter of time before it does. And I think a lot of people say that when those first changes came up, but it looks like they've been one of the first ones to kind of almost push back against it. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it how it's happened, but there's quite a couple of websites now which will only take like Bitcoin and stuff like that, Correct, which yeah. is obviously a fucking nightmare, nightmare to yeah. be able to, or you can gift them money, which is a really weird way of doing stuff. What's if that? you run a subscription, you, you, can, you can gift money some way to companies. It's not, it's not a subscription, All right. which is a strange way to try and run a business. There's circumnavigating the payment problem by, by coming up with these weird, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. It's, well, um, it was super interesting. Well, it's not interesting. It was kind of weird. The whole thing about Elon Musk with the Bitcoin to be able to buy Teslas and then the price of Bitcoin went up. And went then up, and then he pulled out, and it absolutely plummeted. And it's yeah. it's did crazy you see the video of, uh, of the guy at the Bitcoin conference in Miami going "fuck Elon Musk"? <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck Elon. We're not fucking selling. It's like a scene out of Wolf of Wall Street. Um, yeah, it's crazy. It's that, whole, that whole thing to me is a different realm. Yeah, it's a different it's highly confusing. It's very stressful. I just... Volatile. Rogan had Volatile a guest on indeed. recently. He was talking about a lot of the porn industry and how, I suppose, she viewed it. I don't know if she was particularly like a, a radical feminist. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't describe as that, but she was very much talking about the way it's perceived and the way that it is in regards to Men or the males are very much idolised in the way that females are disgusting, sluts, blah, 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 and the way they're perceived by other people. Mm. And she was very, I think she, one of her kind of 
missions, goals, life ambitions, whatever she's doing in work was to pull as much of it down as possible. And she's obviously had a hell of a lot of hit back from the... Is she trying to get rid of the porn industry over, overall or is she trying to sort of rebrand women so that it's accepted? Both, I, f- I feel. I think that you're going to struggle. So the, men and women aren't the same um, as much as the blank slate feminists might want that to be untrue. Mm. It's not. You have to understand fundamentally that the prime resource that women have is their fertility and the prime resource that men have is their resources. So men want women that are young and fertile. Women want men that are high status with resources. Fundamentally and on average, this isn't me saying that there aren't outliers out there that are boys that will happily be toy boys and have have an older Mm -hmm. lady that's got some resources or women that are prepared to go with like a man purely based on his looks even if he doesn't have any status or resources. On average, that's the case. What that means is that if women use the thing that is supposed to be gatekept, that is the prime value that men get from them, which is their sexual intimacy, Mm -hmm. if you use that to generate status and resources, you're going to come into conflict. It's not going to work very well. And this is why there are these challenges that you have. Don't get me wrong. I'm all for not judging sex workers, but I'm not going to go out with one. Yeah. So this is where personal preference meets ideology. Like, for instance, with women, I can ask you this. Mm -hmm. Would you date a man that was shorter than you? How much shorter? You can be honest about it as well, be brutally honest. Well, like uh, two inches shorter than you. Yeah, that wouldn't really bother me. Okay, would you date a man that was shorter than you and earned less than you? Yeah, that wouldn't bother me. Would you earn a ma- date a man that was shorter than you, earned less than you and was less educated than you? Education is a big thing for me. Okay, so as far as I can see, there's four buckets that men need to fill at least three of in order to be attractive to a woman. They need to be Taller, better educated, richer, or higher status. And if you can't get at least two of those four, you are struggling Mm -hmm. as a man. The problem that we have in society at the moment is that as women have been able to enter the workforce more, as they've been able to create their own opportunities to gain status, to be more employed, women are out earning men up to the age of 25 by about a grand and a half a year. They are better educated than men. They're dropping out of university less than men. There's far more women than men generally across the board in universities. But the downstream impact of that is if you have to be, as a, a woman, you're fundamentally seeking a man that is taller, higher status, richer, and better educated. As you become better educated with more resources and higher status, you shrink your own dating pool. So these super high performing women, sadly, are competing. A ever increasing number of women are ever competing for an ever decreasing number of men. The statistics on Tinder the bottom 80% of men compete for the bottom 20% of women and the top 80% of women compete for the top 20% of men. That's crazy. That's the stats that comes out of the back end of the data. So all of the the situations that we have where you liberate women to be able to go and do porn and stuff like that, awesome. Like, who's to say that that's wrong? Nobody. But the downstream implications of that when they come up against human desires and preferences, you can't... You can create this world, this lady, and I'm sure that she understands this far better than I do. She can try and sort of repurpose the way that the world works so that it is normalized for sex workers. I think it's becoming relatively normalized now. You're still a little bit like a girl in our gym did OnlyFans and everyone sort of used to nudge yeah, yeah. nudge each and other under the happens, table a little yeah. bit, but a lot less. That It's not like a you know being a porn star 15 years ago where it would have been like yeah. totally crazy. It's not un- unheard of. But when it comes up against human desires, and that's why you'd say to a, a perhaps a girl who was, would you date somebody shorter than you? Would you date somebody less educated than you? So on and so forth. You actually go, oh, well, there is a point at which I will not accept any more compromises. 
And this is going to happen as you continue to try and deconstruct relationships. Okay, well, mm. anyway, everyone can sleep with everyone. Well, what if I want intimacy? One of your core love languages is affection. Like if you're in a polyamorous relationship <clears throat> with five people putting keys in a bowl or however it works, like you're probably not going to get that. Yeah. So there are fundamental things that people have that they don't want to have changed. And as we start to deconstruct things, a lot of the babies get thrown out with the bathwater. Two, that was very mind-blowing. Two, two things that JP talks about that as well, doesn't he, in regards to women don't want that type of men because they don't want someone else they have to look after as well. Uh, the man-child? No, of yeah, course not. Exactly. Of course not. Well, is there, isn't this, there this whole perception that like an empowering businesswoman doesn't come across like confident, she comes across very intimidating and a lot of guys don't resonate with that yeah. resonate with no, that absolutely but 100%. this is this is desire again as well like uh, an overly feminine man and an overly masculine woman on average won't be as attractive to the average that mm -hmm. you pick from the other side because typically that's not what people went for that's not to say that there aren't men that are attracted to fe masculine women and women that are attracted to feminine men of course there are but on average you are going to struggle and as you push that envelope more and more like <clears throat> think about it in culture when was the last time that you watched a movie where the and they lived happily ever after story was the woman made her billions and bought seven cats and didn't start a family and lived happily ever after. Mm -hmm. Like that doesn't occur because it isn't an archetype. The mm -hmm. vast majority of people don't want that. So you're right. It, it is unfair that a woman that decides to be forceful and powerful and disagreeable is seen as a hard-nosed bitch, whereas a man that does that is seen to be a go-getter. Mm -hmm. There's a fundamental low-level sexism that's going on here that presumes that what men do is correct, and this has been imbibed by women and then fed back out again. Why is it that femininity isn't something that you should strive to be within a business? The subtext of, you, of, of somebody saying, um, it's not fair that women can't be hard-nosed bitches, uh, can't, can't be uh, <laughs> like aggressive in business without being called like mm -hmm. arseholes, um, what that presumes is that being hard-nosed is desirable. It takes a male frame of the world and says, that's what we should be aiming for. It's like, hang on a second. Why? I don't think that that's necessarily what you should be aiming for at all. And then this is being fed back out by, by some women, by some corners of the world are saying, I want to be able to do this thing. Well, hang on a second. Like, why, why would you presume that the way that men operate is better? I don't think that it is. Not all the time. And yeah, that's a that's an e weird way that this sort of yeah, is. this fundamental subtext of like men is what we should aim for, women being able to earn more, women being able to do these things. It's like, look, that's fine if you want to do it, but a lot of women are very very happy building a family, being like amazing homeowners, going into businesses that allow them to work with people, not things. We need to get more women in STEM. What if they fucking hate science, yeah. technology, engineering, and maths? What if they want to work with people? As most on average, women do. Let them do it. But the presumption is because those are the industries that have had male domination for a while, that for some reason that's right. So, is it? Who's to say that the guy that does fucking engineering is more important than the nurse that looks yeah. after people when they're dying? I don't think that that's the case. Yeah. But there is this soft bigotry of like sexism that's been swallowed up by parts of the feminist movement and then he's then getting spewed back out and he's like, hang on, did some like 
Did some men's rights guys feed you this fucking 15 years ago and now you're spewing it back out again? Because this sounds like you're putting men, the way that men operate on a pedestal so high and now you're trying to do that. Like, I don't know. Yeah. So do you think that then when we're looking at, obviously we're kind of touching on now equality and mm-hmm. what you touch on is potentially like an equality of outcome because we're saying women want this to be equal across all fields. However, when we're looking at a quality of outcome, no one's saying there needs to be more females in bricklaying, mm-hmm. more females in, in bin men. Logging, is, yeah. Does that become more of a quest for a for power rather than equality? I think so. I think it's that typically the industries in which men are able to gain leverage more success. The reason that they want more women in science, technology, engineering, and maths is that those are the the industries that are scalable. You can make fucking billions. There's no billionaire nurses, right? But there's lots of billionaire engineers. And the reason for that is that you can scale that industry. Um, I don't really know what you want to do. I think that we need to dispense with tradition at our peril. And what we're seeing now is that in the universities, like look at the statistics around how many men are going into uni. It's like a complete whitewash in terms of how many women are going in there. And they're outperforming men in education. They're outperforming men in the workplace. At what point do we say, right, we've pushed too far here? It's like reparations, reparation payments. How long do we need to um, construct a world in which perhaps women have the advantages that men did? Okay, if we do it for three millennia, then do we switch it back Mm. around and go like, right, it's men's turn again. Like, take your, it's like, no, like the goal should be to try and find a very good balance, a world in which everybody wants to operate in, where they get to do the things that they want to do. Mm. If you want to try and, so I'm sure that you're familiar with this. Jordan Peterson talks about in Sweden, one of the most egalitarian yeah. com- countries in the world, they decided to try and remove as many gender biases from recruitment as possible. And the differences between groups got greater in the opposite direction yeah. to the one that they thought. More women went into teaching and nursing. More men went into science, technology, and engineering, and maths. Why? Because that's what they're fucking built to do. Mm. Men want to look at things. Women want to look at people. That's why they're, they're programmed to do that. Man, pick wood, carry water, chop thing, create fire, get fucking animal back, mm-hmm. feed camp. Women create baby, look after family, make sure that grandma is okay, um, fix tents, like home ownership. That is what we are built to do. That is not for me to say that women can't do whatever they want to. I'm not trying to keep people in their place. But in the same way as people complain about the fact that McDonald's is food that's misaligned for us, it looks like food but isn't nutritional. Why? Because we didn't have it ancestrally. Okay, so you want to hold on to a Paleolithic approach for diet, an ancestral approach for diet, but not for roles within the family? Apparently not. I don't know. I I think that, I wonder how many women in 50 years time and how many men are going to look back on the sort of lives that they led, that they were told would make them happy and look back and go, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that that was right for me. I think you need to be a very, very particular type of woman to make it to 50 years old and look back without a family and say that it was the right idea. It's not to say that they don't exist but it's to say that you need to it's be a, a very unique sort of human for that to be the case. And um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I think sort of the next 10 years or so will be, will be an interesting one. We've definitely had like a, a reckoning around the Me Too movement, which was completely required to try and call men to account for using positions of power in order to get sexual access. Like that's, that's not good and that needed to be fixed and it has. The concern is if you continue to uh, down-regulate men's ability to to like access status, resources, and wealth. 
you're going to end up with this huge disaffected group of incels that can't have sex at the bottom because no woman will look at them and a group of women that are all high performers that can't find a mate they're fundamentally attracted to. You can't get around this. And no one knew, no one could have predicted the fact mm -hmm. that, there, that this was going to occur when you enable women to go into the workplace, get education, gain status and resources, that they're going to shrink their own dating pool. When you tell people this, they're like, <laughs> fuck. Boom. <laughs> fuck. That's actually happening right in front of me. I know a friend. I've got this friend, this girl who runs her own fucking business. Like, it's happening in front of our eyes. I think it's because a lot of the time, a lot of the attention, especially the last couple of years, has, has gone towards looking at what a radical feminist is saying about the numbers, about there's not that many women in this type of job. They're not a top earner in this mm -hmm. sort of field. And you don't get a full spectrum across the board of what is going in or what's going on in other job roles, potentially further down the financial ladder of where there's no equality in that sector whatsoever. Mm -hmm. It's only in that top performing sector that yeah. the numbers are being And they're not bothered from. about the fact that there's no women in logging, which is the most dangerous uh, job in terms of like mortality rate to have. Not bothered about there being no more female bricklayers. Why? It's this fundamental like soft bigotry of sexism that's coming through. The presumption is that what men do is supposed to be right, but what when, what men do when they get to make loads of money? I don't and, know. And obviously also the disadvantages, well, sort of suicide rates, the percentage that are in prisons. Deaths by violent crime. Yeah, and, and again, universities. And this isn't a kind of pro-men bashing feminists is just the kind of discussion that I, I well, want to have and, and obviously get your perspective I'm... in it as well and I think that's important because you are the type of female who is more muscular you are uh, a, a business a, owner a boss a bitch, boss and, and, bitch. I, and I was and I was, <laughs> and I was I was attracted to that as well so I mean it's a very strange I think it's a very it's in the moment where it's a very strange conversation I don't really know because I, to be fair to myself, I try and pay not much too attention to it because I don't really know what's going on with it. I do what I do and I love to empower women in the fitness space. I think more so what I do is to empower women to, yeah, I mean, muscularity, female muscularity. I carry a lot of muscle. I always have. I don't want women to feel ashamed that they do have muscle because I just think it's it's a confidence thing. It makes you feel amazing. That's the route that I go down. I built a business from doing that. I get asked a lot of the time, which does make me a little bit uncomfortable. Oh, do people just think you're really bossy? Absolutely. Because you're assertive. Not, because yeah. I'm very I'm very assertive. I'm very determined. I've, I've always been super driven. I probably got that from swimming without even realizing. And I when people say, like, are you like, are you really bossy? No, you're going to ask Ben if he's super bossy. Mm. So things like that, I guess they do piss me off because I don't really understand, I understand why, that would. why they have that perception of me. And obviously the perception of making money. I do very well for myself. I make a lot of money. I have friends from uni who are just completely very unsupportive. Women, other, other girls, mm. super unsupportive of the situation that, I've, that I'm in now. And that's not coming from other guys. Yeah. A lot of that's my uni friends who own. are guys yeah. are super proud of me. And I'm I'm in touch with like a few of them. And I I don't know I don't know where that comes from. But yeah, I guess the only thing that really frustrates me and I say to Ben when people are like, Are you like super bossy? Like are you like, a bit of a bitch? Like are you like super? Could you imagine though if you were in if if Ben was in the business 
and he was like hyper feminine though it would actually probably be a little bit less likely to bring it up but people would think like, how does that guy run that business mm-hmm. because it's a mismatch between what we predict about somebody and what usually happens mm-hmm. like we think that the guy that runs the business is supposed to be assertive and we typically would think that the girl would be more subdued so when you have an assertive girl you think that stands out that's interesting now some people might deliver it in a, a different way if you were able to ask the question appropriately, it'd be like, tell me what it's like to be assertive as a woman in business. I think that's fucking interesting. As opposed to, do people find you bossy? That's just yeah. like a shit question. Yeah. I think the fundamental of the question is, you break the mold a little bit. I want to know why. Or you're a, a super feminine guy that operates in a space that needs to be more cutthroat and it's mm-hmm. all about decision making and stuff like that. That's a little bit different. Most people probably wouldn't ask that question. Mm-hmm. But if they did, they'd go, look, man, you seem like you're sort of quite a subdued more introverted, sort of shy kind of kind of person that doesn't like conflict and is quite agreeable. How does that work when you go into business? Mm. Like, that's a fucking interesting question. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, people may deliver it in a shitty way, but I actually think it comes from a place of intrigue yeah. that's worthwhile because you actually do something that does break a bit of a mold. Yeah, 100%. That's actually so interesting because when, I guess when we first got together, I probably wasn't at the, well, I wasn't at where I am now. But would you say I was still quite independent? That's, that's why I was. That's why I was very, very attracted to you at that time because you were already very independent. You made a lot of decisions very quickly that were were kind of big decisions, and obviously you started working in the business very early, and that's why I wanted you to be a part of the business that I had created because I saw a lot of those traits in you as well. So I was both attracted to you for the, for those reasons as well because I think I hadn't seen it before and it was unusual. Yeah, yeah. And you it, do stand it fascinated out, right? me and you did stand out and to me it wasn't something that I was scared of or intimidated, intimidated by. by. It was something that kind of wanted me to explore it more. So think about it this way. Like I think one of the most powerful traits... And this probably isn't a non-negotiable because it's so hard to define. But I think probably, for me, the most compelling, attractive trait that any partner could have would be that, I'm, that I admire them. Like, if I admire the person that I'm with, that is so compelling to me because it ticks every single one of the boxes. It ticks my curiosity. It ticks my desire for personal mm-hmm. growth. Like, not only is this person someone that presumably I'm attracted to and that we get on with well and we've got schedule and, and value alignment and stuff like that, but I actually fucking am impressed by what mm-hmm. they do. And I think that I can learn something from them. They're going to make me a better person. I'm going to make them a better person. And fuck, they're still going. Like that is a really, really, really attractive thing. And I think a lot of the guys and girls that listen to your show and that are part of your school would see that as well. Mm -hmm. Probably growth-minded. They probably want to get after it. Like find a partner that you admire. Fuck, like that's a compulsion. Yeah, admiration actually is a big one that we haven't even touched Mm -hmm. on. That's Such a drug. Yeah, yeah, it is. Such a drug. Yeah, completely. Speaking of drugs, I'm not going to the drug scene, but I wanted to bring this up because I know we've only got sort of five minutes or so left. And we spoke about him previously, and that was Andrew Huberman. Yes. Who is an awesome, awesome guy. We get a lot of questions on the podcast about sleep and stuff as well. Probably something that not a lot of us have got a lot of this weekend because <sighs> we've been up boozing and stuff as well. I feel so tired. And we've been talking a little bit about CBD, and you guys are both working with pure CBD. And 
I'd be interested to kind of hear anything that you do around routine and, and sort of what your ethos is in sleep and, and how you make sure that is it, you prioritize that and making you get enough of it to, to function and, and, and run your life so well. Cool. Um, like, going, to, going to bed at the same time and waking up at the same time is like the first thing that you need to do. If you have a chaotic sleep and wake schedule, you're fucked. Mm-hmm. So now I wake up at just before seven without an alarm and I can't turn that off. Um, nighttime, digital detox, avoid screens if you can. Uh, if you have a Kindle, I read a paper recently that said that the light that's emitted from a Kindle doesn't impact your melatonin release in the same way as a tablet really? or a, yeah, um, the same way as a tablet or a TV. So you can actually get away with a Kindle, especially if you've got the Oasis where you can turn it to a warm light and then dial it down a little bit. You'll get away with that. Um, Pure Sports Unwind Blend, which I know that we're both fans of. That's a really yeah, legit product. Really good product. I, I, go quite hard on the dosage but um, that's really really legit on a morning time I've been working with a company called Element LMNT salts uh, instead of oh, having I've your heard of that. yeah they're legit instead of having your morning coffee if you replace that with um, salt in water you will impact your adrenal system because that's what's active within the first 90 minutes of your what's day what's that called I'm just going to make a note of LMNT LMNT salts I can send you I'll, I'll get you cool. some stuff out um, they the problem is your adenosine system, which is what caffeine acts on, isn't active for the first 90 minutes. Your adrenal system is. Salt acts on your adrenal system. So when you have that coffee, as soon as you wake up, it's not doing anything. It literally doesn't. It's binding to the adenosine receptors, stopping you from feeling tired. But that system isn't even active. It's like a block, isn't it? Yeah, correct. Um, but that system's not active. It's your adrenal system. So an element stick in water first thing in the morning and a walk. This is all in Andrew Huberman's most recent sort of daily routine podcast, mm-hmm. which everyone should go and check out. Walk first thing, sunlight in the eyes weird that you talk about I make that I make my sleep on a nighttime better by the shit that I do as soon as I wake up um, but it is a big part of it reset your circadian rhythm salt water a little bit of lemon juice if you want and then try and expose yourself to as much sunlight as you can throughout the day when it gets to a nighttime my bedtime routine is fairly straightforward get in bed about half an hour to 45 minutes before I want to sleep read for a while that's like my downtime I tend to read fiction on a nighttime something that's visual and not too sort of cognitively stimulating so I'm not asking tons of questions mm-hmm. other than like what happens next and um, I just got sent a chili pad liquid cooled mattress topper really wow. so it's a, a small box that sits underneath the bed with tubes that go in uh, to the bottom of the bed and it's a mattress topper that runs pipes all the way through it flexible piping and you can set whatever temperature you want from underneath cool and hot it's got an app that allows you to change what the temperature is throughout the night and it gives you suggestions based on what's optimal for sleep so when you get into bed you want your temperature to be um about one to two degrees below the room temperature then about 15 to 20 minutes after that you want it to drop again and then throughout the night you want it to be as close to the ambient temperature as possible so it'll do all of these little settings for you and then go away you can even use it on a morning it's got a heat wake-up setting wow so it'll go up to 40 degrees for over 30 minutes. It'll take you from whatever temperature you're at to as hot as it'll go over 30 minutes and it'll wake you up with heat. Um, wow. That's interesting they should mention that because Matt Walker talks about quite a bit of like your body's one degree either way. It's very right. difficult to sleep and that's why often we hang feet or hands out of out the bed, the bed yeah. and stuff as well. I mean, I, I have a fan next to the bed, which I'm guessing that you've tried to use in the past at yeah. some point, like you're too hot and you yeah. have a, a fan next to the bedside table, but you're generating the heat inside of the covers. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's like cooling the bit, cooling the bit, yeah, yeah. insulated, blasting your face yeah. off. <laughs> exactly. You got this freezing cold arm, and the rest of your body's yeah. boiling. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I haven't you been using that for long enough? It's only been a week, 
but these things seem very legit. It's called Chili mm-hmm. Pad, the one that I've got to the Ula. Um, and yeah, they're, they're a good bit of kit. So Sold. there's some things. Sold, yeah. The, yeah. The, the reason why I bring this up as well, because I want to talk about this, because people have been asking me for the last two weeks, and this is going to be an exclusive the first time I spoke about it. I don't know whether it's been because since we've had the COVID jab, the second jab, or it was just coincidence, but our sleep was very disrupted after that. My sleep this summer has been the worst it's ever been. Yeah. yeah. And Same. basically I started experimenting two weeks ago with the cocktail that Andrew Huberman had sort of aired on the Rogan podcast. So it is magnesium freonate. I've actually noted it down just to make sure I got it right. Magnesium freonate it is theanine and I think it was L-theanine I got and yep. then, then apigen. I couldn't get apigen, mate. It's like trying to get hold of fucking gold dust. Yeah, yeah. gold dust. So I had to swap that out for something called Finited, I think. I'll put, I'm going to post this on Instagram so I'll, I'll put the whole description down but cool. it is 140 milligrams of magnesium threonate and then the L-theanine is 100 to 300 milligrams, but I've been doing 400 milligrams of that. You're a big that is the yeah, that is the one that Andrew who was saying if you have night terrors or sleepwalking, stay on the lower dose of about 100 to 200 milligrams. I've okay. been doing 400 milligrams. It has knocked me the fuck out for the past, really? past couple of days. Not in the first day or two, whether it takes a couple of days for the body to kind Saturation of respond to level, it. Yeah. yeah, but it has been great. And since we've been at IFS, I didn't have it with me. I didn't have a great night's sleep last night. I don't know whether that was due to the alcohol as well because it's not like taking melatonin of something where the body naturally produces and it's going to suppress those levels. So I don't think or it shouldn't do have an effect in regards to where I become dependent on it. Mm -hmm. However, I've been in better sleeps. I wake up well, way less in in the night. I feel a little bit better in the morning. I'm sure Lucy can, can vouch for me that. Whether it's a good thing or not, I've been like a log. So, I've been snoring quite a bit as well, which has affected Lucy's sleep as a, as a byproduct of that. It's not even just like snoring though. You're, he's so out of it and like he sleeps with his mouth open. Because Ben's quite big, I can't roll him over. So he, I can't even make the noise. It'll put people <laughs> off. It's really bad. I've had to start wearing earplugs. You tried taping your mouth? Someone actually recommended that to him on Instagram because there was a doctor who was talking about I think it was about the size of you using a post-it, post-it stamp. stamp. Yeah. Just so yeah. it's not so too that's bad. James, that'll probably be James Nestor that he's on about. So I had him on the show. Listen to that episode. I asked him it. about, look, what happens? Because both mum and, my mum and dad both snore. Um, and I just remember thinking like, okay, it seems natural. Is it healthy? And he said, no, it's not. It's due to sort of small blockages here and there. And you can fix or at least downregulate it a little bit mm-hmm. uh, with tape over the mouth. So that would, make, that would make a huge, perhaps a huge oh. impact. Um, some of the products, if people want to check them out, that I rate for sleep in terms of uh, supplements, uh, Jigsaw Health do something called Mag Soothe, and they also have Mag SRT. So the Mag Soothe is like a pre-workout that you take before bed. Huh. So it's like magnesium chelate and theate or something, a blend of that, single scoop in water. Um, and then they have Mag, Mag SRT, which is a slower release magnesium that you can take throughout the day or on a nighttime. Mm-hmm. They also do a sleep product, uh, a 5-HTP that's got GABA in it. And they also do another 5-HTP yeah. Yeah, that's got L-theanine in it as well. Uh, and then all of this can be got from naturesfix.co.uk. So they're the shippers. Um, they're the sole stockists for this stuff. And Nature's Fix also do a really good 5-HTP supplement that's got 
perhaps some L-theanine in it as well. So that seems to be a common theme. The L-theanine is very focused. Also, I looked at the CBD one that you guys are using Mm -hmm. from Pure Sports. That's all natural though. That's a different one. But it has... Uh, the magnesium threonate and it has L-theanine in it as yeah. well so that seems to be a common the, the only one that's really really difficult to get hold of I don't know what reason is the, is the apogen yeah um, but yeah that, they're, they're the ones I've been using I'll try and link some of these products in the YouTube video description as well Sick. thank you for giving us that insight as well Chris I've I could talk for another hour so it's been a very very insightful episode and really really enjoyed it yeah it is actually probably up there with one of my favourite episodes Oh, it has it's been but also you make it very easy to ask you questions so you said a word before I was oh sorry what does that mean jealousy yeah or whatever the word what was it Uh, sexual relationships monogamous oh non-monogamy yeah 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 and I felt comfortable to say oh so sorry don't know what that means was it embarrassed to even ask and that's I quite like that. I think mm-hmm. that's really important Sick. to have that communication. But thank you very, very much for for coming on, Chris. We massively appreciate round two because that's time we did the audio version on the, the the blue yeti. So it was great to have you here in in person to be able to pick that mastermind of brain in of the yours. full professional studio. Well, thanks for having me, man. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate it. It's been an awesome weekend. Uh, anyone that's enjoyed what we've gone through today, modern wisdom, just wherever you listen. Actually, where's the where's the Chris Where Wills honey track? Find Where can you? people? Yeah, so uh, Chris Williamson on whatever you want to find me on Twitter and Instagram, YouTube, or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Modern Wisdom. And if you want a list of 100 books that you should read before you die, chriswillx.com slash books. It's full, completely free. It's beautifully designed. And you can have a look if you want more reading suggestions, many of the things we've spoken about today and many others, chriswillx.com slash books. I'll put some of these links in the YouTube channel description as well because Chris is not just say that because he's here, is one of the, the six podcasts that I'm subscribed to and I do listen to. So I massively advise you guys who are listening, if you're looking for anything else to listen to, which is going to better your mind and your body that you definitely had over to Modern Wisdom. So thank you again, Chris. Thanks so much. Thank you. Also, just to remind you guys, the challenge when this episode goes out is still open. The enrollment will be open until... Until the day the challenge starts, well, just the night before, it will shut at midnight. Yes. Which is Monday the 6th. So, yeah, get yourself enrolled. Links are below. And we'll see you there. Yep. Thanks for everyone who's listening. Please make sure that you drop the video a like if you enjoyed it and to help push it out to other people. That's looking at you on YouTube. Yes. And if this is your first time listening, please subscribe. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.